Hello everyone, welcome to What Really Works, a mental health podcast for young adults and youth. In these podcasts, you can expect to hear us chat about mental health and provide well-being tips and tricks with the odd joke thrown in. What Really Works is brought to you by Discovery College, an initiative run by the Canadian Mental Health Association Kelowna, where lived and living experience and learned experience informs everything we do. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hello, What Really Works listeners. Oh, happy Monday, Becky. Yeah, happy Monday. Hello. Hi. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Hi, everyone. What are we talking about today, Becky? What are we going to try to podcast on? We are going to be talking about anxiety in relation to climate change and the environment. Yes. So I am actually very excited about this topic because for those of you that know me or have listened to the podcast for a while or I don't know. Just, just know of me. I am obsessed with climate change, <laughs> um, especially because I've been really reading this really great book lately about it, and it's pretty much all I've talked about to my friends and family for the past like four weeks. So I begged Becky, well, didn't really beg her; she was fully in agreement of <laughs> us doing a climate anxiety related topic yeah. because. The world keeps on adding more CO2 and we just won't stop. And I also feel like it's something that's not really discussed that openly. No. I, I feel like it's something that's discussed within kind of those groups around when groups that are really into supporting the environment and that's really core at like their heart, right? But when it comes to talking about mental health and climate change and anxiety related to climate change and the environment it doesn't necessarily come up so often in just like the general mental health sector or even just when we're talking about our general well-being right yeah it doesn't come up when we're talking about mental health in general right it's not one of those first things that we think of the only times that it does come up is when there's a natural disaster I find yeah Um, before fire season in Mm -hmm. the Okanagan, for example, we will do some mental health awareness and like climate anxiety awareness things and try to support people for what they can expect throughout fire season and how that'll impact their mental health and stuff like that. And then the same goes for when there's other disasters around the world. Um, that's when we talk about it kind of as a result of something that's already happened, but we also need to think about, how this conversation can be brought into just our normal everyday conversations about mental health, but also how do we support ourselves before we're dealing with that anxiety because of a crisis? Mm -hmm. Well, and also just like anxiety around climate change and it doesn't have to be purely because of some form of disaster related to the environment, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to happen purely because of, like, wildfire season in the Okanagan. We can also experience anxiety more wider around the climate and climate change, right? It doesn't have to be specific to that specific environment we're living in, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll get into that in a little bit because there's actually different types of climate anxiety, which I did not know until we started researching for this episode. Um, But before we get started with that, As always, let's discuss what climate change anxiety is. Mm -hmm. So essentially, or at least for me, in my personal experience, it's feeling worried, stressed, scared, 
anxious about all of the potential disastrous effects of climate change, right? So if this is what effect will it have on my life, on our natural world, um, on animals, on disasters, like just thinking about all of those things. Anxiety around environmental issues may stem from the awareness of a rising risk of extreme um, weather events, uh, famine, fears for the future generations, um, feeling helpless. It's a really (laughs) big, looming topic, and it can cause us to feel completely out of control and helpless for very many, many good reasons. And there's also something called eco-anxiety, which I did not know. Eco-anxiety, according to the APA, APA, please sponsor us, is a <laughs> is a chronic fear of environmental doom. So eco-anxiety is not currently um, like a diagnosed mental health disorder. I think, yeah, I think that's what the DSM likes to refer to, refer it as. to them as. Yeah. We would refer to that as another question. but Exactly. Um, but yeah, so it's not technically something that you would go to your therapist to talk about and then they would diagnose you with eco-anxiety right it's not at that level yet because it's still something that we're doing a lot of research on Mm -hmm. and trying to discuss more and more and more but it is something that is progressively becoming more of a conversation yeah and the dsm is very slow to be on top of things he is not the biggest fan of the dsm (laughs) (laughs) i just there are many many reasons as to why i'm not a huge fan of the dsm um, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders. Yeah. But also we can have eco-anxiety. We can also have eco-grief and eco-anger. Okay. So not only are we experiencing these feelings of just complete helplessness and, and fear and stress, but we can also feel like immense sadness and those feelings of grief when we lose natural habitats, when perhaps our own family has been impacted by a hurricane or a landslide. Like, think of all of the landslides in 2017 in California. Like, oh my God, thousands of people affected, which can also lead to PTSD. Mm-hmm. So there's many serious, serious conditions that can result from just all of these factors that we as a human species, as Earth's inhabitants, are experiencing because of climate change. When you're saying people may experience PTSD due to like these huge disasters, I think a big thing that gets forgotten is someone may experience PTSD because they've been directly impacted by that event, right? Maybe yeah. they lost their home or something like that or witnessed it. But we also have to bear in mind that that PTSD can also arise from viewing it mm-hmm. through the ever available news online social media and things like that like a person can also and that's just as valid right that ptsd through that kind of secondary trauma so i think that's something to just kind of always bear in mind as well is that it's more and more available to see these things happening right and (laughs) it's more and more available but it's happening more frequent right as climate change increases Unfortunately, it's an everlasting feedback loop. So as more CO2 is released into the atmosphere, as ice sheets continue to break down, releasing methane, as like all of these things continue to happen, it's a horrible negative feedback loop that continues to make things like storms, just environmental crises in general, 
more frequent, which means that we're seeing it more frequent, which mm-hmm. is constantly making us feel frightened or um, shocked or frustrated and just honestly being debilitated by anxiety because it's something that we're constantly seeing. And they're really real events that mm-hmm. impact many, many people. Yeah. And there's always that fear of, you know, am I going to be impacted by this too? Yeah. Yeah. I like, I can even totally relate to that in the sense that, like, moving to the Okanagan, mm-hmm. like, being from the UK, like, wildfires is probably one ecological crisis that maybe we, like, doesn't necessarily happen from my experience. Um, where I'm from is more like flooding and things like that is more of those kind of crises that we end up dealing with where I'm from. Um, so then coming to the Okanagan and my first year here was driving into the Okanagan Valley and it's filled with smoke. Like it's something that I worry about like this year, like I'm like, are we going to get enough rain? And if we don't get enough rain or like if the snow melt isn't high enough, like what's the impact of that? Like what is summer going to be like? And I'm already having those thoughts already and we're in April, right? And it's just that anxiety of like... It's anxiety, yeah. Yeah, of like, what if lightning strikes? Yeah, and how is it going to directly impact my life? Am Mm -hmm. I going to have to stay inside even more so during this COVID time because of fires? Um, What's the risk to my health going to be, right? In general, lots of fires can cause us to have you know, breathing problems. It's a real health risk for people. So that's lots of really concerning, especially if you have pre-existing conditions. You know, there's lots of things that that lead into it all that can be um, a real cause for concern. So all of that being said, there's lots of things to be worried about, right? And it makes sense why we might have um, anxiety around it. So I'll break it down into three different ways that climate anxiety uh, affects us. And that is the first one being direct. So that's what we've been talking about mostly. So that's direct um, effects from PTSD resulting from things like uh, a landslide or a tornado or a hurricane. Like we've been directly impacted by some sort of climate emergency. So we have maybe developed PTSD or just have some residual feelings and thoughts around that. Um, So first one, direct. The second one is disruption. So we can experience climate anxiety because of disruption disruption meaning uh, our farm has been flooded this year so we are not yielding as many crops as we might have um, fires like we were just talking about that's a form of disruption we can't go outside anymore because the you know the smoke levels are too high where it's not healthy for us and then the third way is conceptual mm-hmm. so this is just a basic awareness of the dangers that climate change poses on our overall well-being Um, So this can just be knowing about climate change, being educated about what's going to happen and recognizing that it's a really, really big problem. Um, It can be from like what you were mentioning, Becky, of just seeing things happening on social media or in the news and how disastrous it is um, and that affecting us. So an awareness, that's the conceptual way of experiencing climate anxiety. Yeah, and all three of those are pretty intense things to experience right even just thinking about the when you were talking about the disruption one that really made me think about you know we're talking about things in relation to like the climate and the environment right but I think a really great way of people can maybe I really identify with that experience is how we're experiencing disruption with COVID right Mm -hmm. think about how much that has had an impact on our lives like you say all these like climate change things and related to that 
are going to have just as much of an impact. And I feel like that can be a really great place to even start identifying if maybe like this is something completely new to you and you're like, hmm, what is climate anxiety? Like that can be like, oh, like I totally understand why, how that might feel for somebody. Yeah. You know, I've been listening to a podcast lately too of these, uh, these folks that live in California. And there's been a couple podcast episodes where there's been some sort of noise or something happening and immediately the hosts think that it's an earthquake showing that climate anxiety, right? Yeah. Like something is just a little bit off, a little bit of a loud noise and immediately you're in a panic because yeah. you think an earthquake is happening. Um, so we might not really think of that as being climate anxiety or is experiencing direct um, direct effects or disruption, but it is, and unfortunately, I think sometimes, or even more so, we're so used to it, we're so used to these things happening, they become normalized and continue to become normalized the worse and worse they get, that we don't take the time to really think about how we can support ourselves and whether or not we are being affected by these things. Mm -hmm. Because we are. I, ultimately, every single person that's living on the planet is impacted by this, even more so in the global south. We're very lucky up here living in Canada that we're not exposed to as many direct impacts and economic disruptions caused by climate change. But I'm just going to go on a rant this entire time for this episode. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I'm just going to rant about everything. No, I love it. Because I love how passionate <laughs> you are about it. And I think it's important for us to talk about because it's just, I think it's something that kind of gets swept under the carpet. And like you say, it's becoming more and more normalized mm -hmm. when actually what we need to do is normalize the conversations about it in the sense of like how we're feeling about it, but we don't necessarily need to normalize saying, Oh, it's okay that that's happening or like, that's just normal. What's happening. We instead need to normalize talking about like, Hey, this is making me feel anxious and I feel really out of control or I actually feel, I like I'm feeling scared a lot yeah, or I'm feeling really angry or I feel like I'm grieving for the environment I'm in or the community I'm in right so I think we need to normalize the conversations but not normalize the actual situation is that the right word yeah I agree and I think going into these conversations knowing that you know an apathetic attitude is not beneficial for folks that are needing some support I think I can feel embarrassed sometimes when I see things on the news that really throw me for a loop and really like drive me into experiencing some climate anxiety. I'm afraid to tell people about that because I don't want to be judged, you know, if like, oh, fires happen all the time or, oh, you know, like we see these disasters all the time or it's not directly impacting you, Olivia. Like, why are you so upset about this? And that's not helpful for anyone. No. But it can be hard. It can be hard to have those conversations and say, you know what, it's more than me just seeing how horrible this is, but mm -hmm. this is really impacting me. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So what do we do when we are being impacted by climate anxiety? I know. I, I think it's really tough because so much of it feels so out of our control. Yeah, it still feels like you're doing nothing, even if you're doing something. Yeah, and that's mm -hmm. something that I've always kind of thought about is around, like, when it comes to thinking about climate change, it's that classic view of, like, I'm just one person. Yeah. And yeah, when you like you kind of view about it view it in that really like zoomed out perspective, it can be like so overwhelming and really make us feel out of control of just like what 
what do my actions do to kind of help with this or like what do my actions do to support all of this or what do my actions do to change this um and you can kind of get stuck in that loop I feel of really being like zoomed out and just like out of control and then obviously that in turn can really increase the impact that that anxiety is having on our life or really increase the amount of grief we're feeling or all these different things I feel yeah what you're saying Becky really reminds me of this wonderful book that I've kind of already mentioned that I'm reading it's called The Uninhabitable Earth uh, Life After Warming by David Wallace Wells highly recommend folks check it out Um, But there's this quote in there that says rhetoric often fails us on climate change because the only factually appropriate language is of a kind we've been trained by a buoyant culture of sunny side up optimism to dismiss categorically as hyperbole. So essentially meaning the the effects of climate change are going are so disastrous and affect so many people that it's hard for our brains to be able to not only talk about it, but to be able to conceptualize it just like even comprehend it to even comprehend it to even process those feelings which makes having these conversations about mental health related to climate change really really difficult because we can't even process what is coming Mm -hmm. and what climate change means for us what it means for us in, in the future and what it means for us now and if we can't process that information then it makes it hard for us to even be able to process our emotions in relation to that. Well, yeah, it's like in the emotion regulation workshop that we run at Discovery College, one of the things that we talk about is if, is if you're not even aware of those emotions that you're experiencing, if you're not even aware of how you're being impacted by something, then you can't do anything to change it or support it, right? Because if we don't know it's there, we can't do like yeah, there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. So one of the things that I would suggest as to how to support ourselves would be to get educated about climate change, about what exactly it is that we're facing, what exactly it is that we need to do. And then from there, once we have a basic understanding of what's happening, and that might take you a long time to be able to understand what's going on because number one it's really hard for our brains to process that sort of information number two it's really hard to read that information and not get completely overwhelmed like I've been trying to read this book now for I don't know but like two months maybe like it's been it's been a long time and it's because it's so hard for me to work through all of those feelings and all of those thoughts but while you're doing that it does give you a place to start from because you can start to identify like how you are feeling about the things that you're reading Mm -hmm. and, or, you know, getting educated on. And then you can start to take steps towards supporting yourself with that. Yeah. So for example, I read this book and then afterwards I start reading um, the meat eater guide to wilderness survival because I'm like, okay, I know all of these things might happen. And if there is a disaster or something around me, like it makes me feel a little bit better knowing some like outdoor survival st- sort of techniques to potentially be able to support myself, you know, like, yeah. Do you think educating yourself is a really great place to start? And like you say, there's like so much information out there. Do you feel like it might even even be a really great place to even zoom in a little bit further than that and maybe focus on the local area you're in or like the local community that you're in and how that could be impacted and like that kind of awareness 
to start and then start building further out for us focusing on Kelowna and the environment that we're in and the community that we're in and the relationship with the land that we have that we're in and then expand it to like the Okanagan to then like interior BC then to BC then to Canada then to North America then yeah I think that's a really really great idea and you know even if you're zoomed in on whatever your local area might be the things that are affecting your local area are affecting lots of other places mm. in the world. So yeah. you are still building up a general knowledge base, which is great, but hopefully it's less overwhelming too. Mm. You know, if you focus in on your specific area of the things are, that are directly impacting you and try to take, well, hopefully after you get educated, we can take some action, mm-hmm. right? That's that's really the whole point of, of getting educated about the issues is so that we can take some sustainable action afterwards or during. Yeah. That's a really great suggestion, though, and I think it helps with um, with trying to stay optimistic, too, because as soon as you start delving into everything, <laughs> this is the other problem. OK, <laughs> this is the other problem about climate change is the first thing I want to tell people is to get educated. But then as soon as you start to educate yourself, which is kind of what Becky's getting at, I think it's incredibly overwhelming. Yeah, because Wait, like, where do you start? Yeah. Well, just even thinking about for like for me when it comes to like problem when I'm thinking about problems and trying to come up with solutions or like places to feel control or even just places to make change, right? I have to kind of sometimes think about okay, like where where does this start for me? And for me that means I'm like okay, like I need to look at like my local area to be able to start and to then start thinking about that sustainable activism and that kind of stuff because it's this gives me a a bit of a focus almost because what's so hard about it is that it's so wide but it's also so deep all -hmm. of these different things right so like you could have like the breadth of information or you could have a lot of depth of information and it's trying to like balance those two things out where you're having that really great breadth but you also have enough depth to maybe understand the things that are like maybe closer to home Mm -hmm. as well as having a lot of awareness I think if I'm being honest, as soon as we start getting educated about climate change, you will also at the same time experience some really tough thoughts and feelings when you're working through that that knowledge because it's 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 scary and it's hard to to look at those the facts and figures and, you know, try to remain optimistic mm-hmm. and all of those sorts of things, but it is important because you at least need to know what the potential of a situation is to really fuel that fire to try to tackle that situation right Mm -hmm. well to be able to feel like you can have some sense of control in it right to have some sense of change in it there needs to be a little bit of understanding behind it and I think that's where like we said it gets so tricky when talking about this kind of stuff and like anxiety related to it because when it feels so big and it feels so out of our control then we can kind of get stuck, mm-hmm. right? Whereas like, if we build that understanding, we build that education, we can start to think, okay, some of, this, some of these things are maybe out of my control, but maybe what can I do? What can I focus on that's going to create change? Like what does sustainable activism mean to me? Mm-hmm. Where am I best putting my time? Where am I best putting my resources? And what's the impact on that? Like where can I have the highest impact kind of thing? Because then that can help us feel I'm doing something. I'm focusing on like what steps I can take that hopefully will then create a good impact in some shape or form, do you think? Yeah, and even if it doesn't create the impact, you know, if our individual actions can't solve climate change, that's okay. 
and I think is really realistic to say that, you know, me as an individual practicing sustainable activism is good for me to do Mm -hmm. because it helps with my climate anxiety and because it helps me feel better in my everyday, like walking on the earth and knowing that I'm trying to do my best to, to, to do my part and take care of the place that I live. But I can also see how it can also feel incredibly frustrating because it's like, no matter what I do as an individual, it's not going to contribute towards this larger problem that I'm trying to get rid of. So I really try not to think of it like that. Mm -hmm. I really try to think of it as what can I just do in my life to try to make myself feel better about this situation. And if we come at it from that place, we come at it from a place of knowing that we can only control ourselves. We can't control others. We can't control larger world situations, just like COVID, right? The only thing I can do is make myself feel better about this situation by practicing mindfulness or whatever it is that I need to practice same applies with climate change right like I can only focus on myself what I need to do my contributions and can't expect that I can control other people what other people are doing what the world is doing what policymakers are doing yeah which is frustrating but also I think it's very important because it's it's just supportive for ourselves yeah the sense of control is hard though it's definitely really really hard well, it is because I feel as humans, we love to feel like we've got our hands fully on the steering wheel. Yeah. And like that, that it's just like a comforting feeling, right? Like with any situation, everyone likes to feel like they have their hands on the steering wheel. And that's helpful for our mental health. Like if you really think about it, like it helps with anxiety, right? Because you're like, well, I'm in control of this situation. Mm-hmm. Like I can turn left when I need to. I can stop when I need to all that kind of stuff and that's why some of the bigger things like I think COVID has just brought forward so many of these things around us like wanting to feel like we're in control and all this kind of stuff um makes it so difficult because sometimes it doesn't feel like we necessarily have our hands fully on the steering wheel when we think about that really wider set of people right like if we're thinking about our whole community like that means everyone's got their hands on the steering wheel Whereas if we just focus on us, like you say, when we're talking about like sustainable activism, like if you just focus on yourself of like, okay, like what steps can I take? I'm being able to grab this steering wheel a little bit firmer Mm -hmm. when you think, okay, like do, where do I want to put my time? And do I want to put my time to like trying to hold big companies accountable? Do I want to put my time towards educating myself? Do I want to put my time towards all these different things that helps us feel like we're well it helps us hold hold that steering wheel because we're focusing on ourselves rather than the bigger picture in the world right yeah absolutely when becky and i say sustainable activism we're speaking about the things that we can do in our lives and also as communities to continue to reduce the impact that climate change will have um but then also to just strive for the things that we believe in so becky's given a couple examples of what that might look like sustainable activism can be getting educated Um, It can be things like reducing our meat consumption if it's something that we are able to do within our lifestyle that we're currently living or depending on where we live in the world or depending on our privilege, I would say. What does it look like as far as reusable plastics? I know that these are conversations that people have all of the time and they can feel like really surface level conversations that will never make a difference towards anything, but they do 
for yourself. Yeah. And for the things that that you can feel good in doing. Um, there's also, you know, donating, like mm-hmm. any big movement, donating towards um, charities and organizations that support climate change research. Do you want to learn more about what research is being done? Do you want to um, support organizations that are really working towards understanding how ice sheets break down more and more, right? Like there's tons of different things that you can do. Um, Do you want to shop at your local farmer's market Mm -hmm. instead of going to the grocery store? When you go to the grocery store, you can research where your grocery store actually gets its produce from, right? You can... Um, when you go shopping, choose to go to a secondhand clothing store yeah. instead of going to a, if you have if the privilege to, be, if you're able to. Yeah. And that's what sustainable means, right? Mm-hmm. It's about like looking at ourselves and it's like, okay, like what is available to me in my life? Um, Cause I mean, like you say, I, I felt it was a really great point of like you saying like, if you're able to, like, I think that's something that people sometimes forget is they're like you should be doing this Mm -hmm. and it's like well hang on that is a very privileged position to be coming from to be like pointing at people and saying this is exactly how you should be doing this because this isn't a cookie cutter thing right it's not like one size fits all and that's where that's why we're not just saying activism that's why we're saying it's sustainable activism activism because it's like what things can you do to change that you can do over a long period of time, like what is accessible and what is sustainable for you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't help anyone to push a certain agenda on people's mm-hmm. individual lives of what it looks like to be sustainable, yeah. what it looks like to contribute towards trying to reduce climate change. Like that is individual for every person's life. And we don't want to increase the anxiety that someone might feel, feeling as though, oh, I can't have any waste. I can't, you know, I must compost. I must have a garden. I must do like all of these things. And then someone ends up doing nothing, right? Like ends up changing nothing about their routine or their education or their habits because it's very overwhelming to immediately feel as though you need to just completely shift everything about the way that you live your life. Mm -hmm. That's not what we want to do. That actually decreases people's participation in climate change affairs. So, yeah, sustainable activism. There's also, which I did not know, Climate change anxiety support groups. Oh, cool. Yeah, which I think is just... I love that. Isn't that awesome? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that you can just go hang out with a bunch of people, share how you're feeling and what what you might be struggling with in regards to climate change and receive support through people that are experiencing similar things. That's really great. And what's so great about that is that it is immediately a safe space to share because mm-hmm. we've mentioned before about how this is something that is definitely not spoken about as much and you even mentioned about how you felt like a little bit embarrassed about like when you're bringing around these conversations but you've immediately got a space where it's like okay like every we're all on the same mm-hmm. page here and we're all open to talking about this like I know this is a judgment-free zone um I know that somebody's not going to be apathetic to me because they get it Yeah, I'm not rolling up to my friend's dinner party and being like, hey, everybody, did you guys know? (laughs) The other thing that we can do is practice resilience. So these, like anything related to climate change is really hard to think about. Not only because our human brains are not really capable 
of thinking about the larger impacts of climate change, but because it's scary and it's it's sad to think about and it's you know it's thinking about really large changes for a lot of different people. And when we are engaging with that sort of material or that sort of you know knowledge, resiliency is important because we need to keep going regardless of the things that we're seeing. And this is like something about resilience that I, I feel like resilience is something that's sometimes a little bit misunderstood or maybe misused mm. the term like people kind of just view it as somebody who's resilient can stand in front of something and just like take it again and again and again and again and never ever feel anything about it but it's not and I always kind of think about resilience is about like being able to support yourself well enough that you're able to reapproach something or you're able to process something is kind of how I always think about it. So even just thinking about you talking about how you've been reading your book for like two months, right? You are practicing resilience by knowing that this is something that is important to you, but this is something that's hard for you. And knowing where your limit is, going away and supporting yourself, practicing resilience and taking care of yourself to then be able to reapproach the subject of something that's important. Like that is an act of resilience, right? And that and the same with just like when we're thinking about resilience, it's just the ability to kind of it doesn't mean being okay all the time. It doesn't mean being hard. <laughs> in fact, I feel sometimes resilience means being in touch with our emotions and saying, like, hey, like this is hard for me. I need a break or I need to stop. That's resilience. Yeah. Knowing ourselves and being able to like process what we've been able to do so that eventually we can kind of start to move forward or start to pick up the things that are around us right yeah and that includes you know trying to remain optimistic within the fight for it too if we can practice resiliency we have a webinar on resilience and it's actually really good we talk about how resilience is something that we can grow in and Mm -hmm. and focus on and try to become better at and it's something that is really important, I think, for climate anxiety because, you know, I can even get burnt out going outside sometimes these days because I see everything that's so beautiful and I love, you know how much I love the outdoors and I go out there and I'm like, oh man, this, this sucks. Like this is tough, but yeah, like you said, you just have to know when to take a break. You have to know what your limits are and not be so hard on yourself if you can't immediately become a climate change justice warrior or like be educated about absolutely everything regarding climate change yeah. because not only is that a huge unrealistic goal but it's also very difficult to do yeah and also part of that as well you mentioned part of resilience is that optimism mm-hmm. and I do just want to say there is that difference between optimism and positivity mm-hmm. optimism is kind of seeing the light in all these different things of like maybe the optimism is seeing that there's climate change anxiety pit groups and being like that's great these people are coming together and supporting each other like celebrating that optimism is noticing maybe like big companies maybe starting to make baby step changes and it's like okay like maybe that's not as fast as we want it or as much as we want it but there's something growing here or just like the growing in the conversation like viewing that and being like this is a start Mm -hmm. this is a step that's optimism whereas positivity is kind of just don't worry about it guys it'll all be fine putting like a little sun sticker on everything and being like 
bam, this is great. We're just going to be happy all the time, right? Optimism holds place still for like accountability and moving forward and like understanding that everything isn't always perfect. Whereas positivity is, it can just be incredibly toxic. And we've spoken about that in an episode before of kind of just like smiling and saying this is all good. And it's important for us to consider for resiliency because it's that motivation that keeps us going, I find. You know, it's it's hard to always keep ourselves motivated, but if you can find some little bits of optimism in whatever it is that you're struggling with, then that'll help us to continue to to kind of move past that ad- adversity and to to continue to to move forward. Any other kind of things that you would suggest? Or things that you've found helpful, Olivia? Mm. Oh, yeah, I guess just appreci- appreciation of the moment is, is a important one for me, just ensuring that when I am enjoying the the outdoors or like this physical world or whatever it might be that I'm really appreciating the things are, that are around me. You know, I was listening to music outside the other day and I was could hear the birds in the background behind the music. And it was nice. It was really enjoyable. But then I turned the music off so I could just hear all of the different sounds of all of the different birds and was shocked about how many different types of birds there must be in my neighborhood, um, which was really great to see. So mm-hmm. kind of incorporated that optimism too, because it's like, oh, there are lots of different bird species in my neighborhood still, which yeah. is nice. Well, and also I feel like that appreciation of the moment also gives you that moment of reminder of like, okay, like this is what my sustainable activism is for mm-hmm. as well, which then provides that like motivation and like creates a, a positive loop or i was like, just about to yeah, say that a positive no, feedback loop normally every time we talk about loops on this podcast but it creates a negative loop <laughs> it's like that is one that creates like you can see how it can build and build and build to be more motivational for us more optimistic for us and provide provide more hope for us yeah absolutely um i know that this is <clears throat> you know a really abstract topic for a lot of people or maybe something that a lot of folks aren't experiencing anxiety around or maybe you are or you know it's just one of those conversations that is definitely very political for some Mm -hmm. strange reason um and it's one of those conversations that's very nuanced and has a lot of different um a, a lot of different opinions and lots of different things out there but What I would want to say to everyone and to say to all of our wonderful listeners is that if you are struggling with climate anxiety or if you are worried about climate change and you do want to, um, you know, practice more activism or practice getting more educated about these these topics is, you know, don't be afraid to take things slow. Don't be afraid to just kind of dip your toes into the to this world. And if you are finding that you're getting more overwhelmed by learning more things, mm-hmm. um, then that's okay too. You know, it's I don't want anyone to feel after this podcast shamed about what they might be doing or might not be doing. That's not the goal. The goal is to hopefully um, have everyone feel as though there are some things that you can do to support yourself if you are really struggling with, um, yeah, with that climate anxiety. Well, and just like to start those conversations, right? Mm-hmm. And speaking of starting those conversations and you talking about, you know, how this sometimes can be pretty politically charged. And maybe that's also part of the reason why talking about climate anxiety is spoken about less because of that fear. Absolutely. Of like, where are the people going to be coming at? Um, and you've spoken about this before, Olivia, so I might pass it over to you if you're okay. But when we're talking about these experiences and what we're finding helpful or how we want to make change and what we want to see maybe change, 
we can't expect everybody to be on that same page with anything really in our lives anyway um but especially when it's something that's pretty tough and has a lot of big impacts on many different areas is about actually making sure it is a conversation so you've spoken before about dialogue versus debate Mm. and how that's really important right to make sure that we're actually having conversations where we're listening and talking rather than listening to just prove a point um can you talk about that a little bit more yeah so dialogue versus debate is incredibly helpful um essentially if you're engaging in debate with someone um, you're typically trying to prove your point no matter what so you're not really listening to what the other person is saying you're more so just like looking for faults in that person's argument so that you can retort back to them typically there's um, some sort of raised voices or elevated emotions in those conversations Um, you view one person as right and the other person is wrong and that conversation really revolves around the fact that at the end of it someone will leave victorious with their ideas being yeah positioned as the correct ones dialogue is when you are engaging in a conversation with someone where the goal is to listen and the goal is to be in conversation there's not the goal isn't for someone to necessarily be right or for one point of view to be more right than another's point of view it's to simply be able to understand where someone else is coming from and for the other person to understand where you're coming from tones are usually not elevated and um, it's a much more open space for people to say how they're feeling and the things that are affecting them and I think traditionally we move towards engaging in debate automatically because it's the way that, you know, our, our news media is set up. It's the way that interviews are set up. It's just the way that we as humans interact with folks a lot of the time. But I don't think it's particularly helpful and definitely not helpful when it comes to discussing really politically charged topics such as climate change, mm-hmm. where that dialogue is actually a lot more helpful than that, that debate, that argument based thinking. So, yeah. So before we leave you all today, um, there are just a couple other things that we want to touch on, I think. So um, kind of just the last little thing before we leave everyone is just thinking about what we can do in our individual lives based on our privilege to be able to support not only ourselves and support the things that we are feeling in relation to climate change, but also support others. Mm -hmm. I think that's something around this conversation that isn't talked about a lot. Um, For me, one of the reasons that I'm most passionate about, not passionate about climate change, but passionate about climate change activism um, is thinking about how me in my position as a very privileged individual has some semblance of responsibility to think about these things because I'm able to. I'm able to make changes in my diet, right? I'm able to practice sustainable activism. I'm able to go to school where I can learn more about these issues and then relate them to my current field like we're doing right now, like those really important things. But that's not the case for, for everyone, right? We can think about, like I mentioned earlier, how the global south is much more exposed to climate-related injustices and disruptions. Um, Also really want to mention that lots of indigenous communities rely on the land and rely on natural resources and also tend to reside in more vulnerable geographic areas. And then also we can think about people that are 
um, displaced because of flooding, um, forced migrants, people with maybe lower socioeconomic status that aren't able to make such drastic changes to their lifestyles. Mm-hmm. All things that I would really encourage you to consider when you are having those conversations or those dialogues about climate change, because mm-hmm. there's a lot more that goes into it yeah. than just CO2 emissions, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that um, that we need to think about and impact some people a lot a lot more than others um, and there's a responsibility there but that being said do what supports you in in the best way possible and what you think that you're you're capable of doing yeah and I feel like that's why that dialogue is so important because if we don't have those conversations then there's not only part of it's not necessarily acknowledging where we're at with like our privilege and where others are at but there's also what we mentioned before about like the privilege of just kind of the expectations from other people right so we need to have those dialogues to kind of be like okay like actually I'm in this privileged position and maybe I have the ability to make some different changes to other people yeah exactly well what really works listeners I kind of want to just say thank you for kind of tuning in and listening to this podcast episode one in the sense that you know if this is something that you are managing within your life or like trying to cope within your life or being impacted within your life like we hope this has been useful or provided like a safe conversation for you to listen to and that kind of place but also maybe this is something that's completely new to you and you hadn't necessarily thought about it and I kind of really hope that this creates that dialogue or just awareness within you and your life of what other people might be experiencing and why they might be experiencing it and Hopefully if someone ever kind of mentions that they're feeling that eco-anxiety or that eco-grief that you mentioned, Olivia, that you approach it with compassion. And I hope this kind of conversation has validated those that are experiencing it or being impacted by eco-anxiety and all the many other things we've talked about, spoken about today. But also hopefully normalizing that conversation of saying, you know what, I'm kind of being impacted by all these different things that are going on and... I'd like to talk about it. Thanks, Becky. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. We are currently recording in the podcast booth inside Staples Studio located in Kelowna. Staples Studio is a co-working space for those looking for a safe alternative to working from home. I know I feel so stuck at home these days, and going to Staples makes me feel like I actually have a change of pace. They offer not only a safe space to work with desks, offices, private phone booths, and meeting rooms, they are connected to the Staples store where they have everything you need under one roof. Studio is more than just a co-working space. Studio is a community to help you work, learn, and grow. Follow them on Instagram at Staples Studio Canada for more information on locations, pricing, and amenities. Please visit studio.staples.ca and book a virtual tour. Thanks again for listening to us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can find us on all major podcast streaming platforms. And if you don't want to miss any future episodes, you can follow us or subscribe to What Really Works. To find more from Discovery College, go to discoverycollegecolona.com. And thanks again to Staples Studio in supporting us to produce this podcast.